The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be uh, working through the book of Genesis. And one thing that really struck me last week was um, how little I know. And I've been following Jesus for over four decades now, and yet the, the message that Brian brought last week just opened myself up to questions that I'd never thought about. And I'm thinking, hello, how many times have I heard the story of Noah and the ark and all that stuff? And I hadn't kind of filled in the blanks. I started asking myself, okay, so there was a big flood, all the animals came into the ark and floated around, all good. And today we hear about what happens next. But how did Kiwis get down here? How did the kangaroos go over there? The kangaroos aren't here, the Kiwis aren't there. How come we didn't get tigers? Tigers would have been kind of cool. And I started thinking, how does that work? And these questions started going into my head and I had to talk to Brian afterwards and, and, and we started talking about these things. And then, of course, I went on, on the line during the week and I found this really good guide about Noah and had started to unpack Christian scientists telling all, all this stuff and it was super interesting and I'm not going to talk about it today. Because <laughs> Brian has hatched the plan. He, he's, got, he's got a series about this whole thing of really unpacking how there is, it all makes sense. And the, with the biblical narrative, this thing about Noah wasn't a cute little Sunday school story with a cute little ark with little giraffes sticking out of the top. This is a real, real story. And so um, Brian has got hold of a series. We're not, it's not guaranteed we're going to do this, but he has planted the seed that next year we might start um, unpacking the story of Genesis through the series that he's purchased. And we might do it on a Sunday night, kind of early next year. So I'm excited for that, um, but I just wanted to kind of tell you that today we're continuing in Genesis, but I'm not going to get into detail of what happens here. I'm really kind of approaching it from the side of what Noah did, how he, what was his experience in this. I can't speak for him, of course. I don't know him, but um, I've heard, yeah, some people make jokes about how old you are. Oh, you, you were here when Noah was, you know, whatever. Okay, so we're going to um, be reading from Scripture. We're in Genesis. We're in, as we see there, Genesis 8, 13 to 22, if you've got your Bible and want to follow along. So, we read from chapter 13. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth, and be fruitful, and increase the number on it. Verse 18. So Noah came out, together with his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives, all the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, and all the birds. Everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart 
is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures of I, as I have done. Finishing verse 22, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. So whenever I watch or listen to the news on the TV or radio and see the next government policy to solve one of our society's problems, whether it be child poverty, or domestic violence, ram raids, robberies, drink driving, high school truancy, violent robberies, gender pay gap, affordable housing, road death, child abuse, overloaded emergency departments, unconscious bias, racism, suicide, overloaded hospital emergency departments, etc, etc. I sometimes think does God look down on all our attempts to fix these issues with policies and programs and taxes? And does he wish, like any loving father, looking down at his misguided and lost children's good intentions, and does he think, if only they would listen to what I told them, just play nice and just get along? This world would be such a better place if only my will was done on earth as it is in heaven. If only those, this isn't, that's kind of my end of God's, me trying to think like God maybe. If only those in authority on this earth would listen and do what they were told by the ultimate authority, what a place this would be. So what did God tell us to do? His son Jesus was asked to put it into a nutshell. Just sum up, what, what are we supposed to do? And Jesus replied, this is how it was recorded in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Imagine if we did that. If we loved our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, because I think the closer we come to that ideal, the more we would fear him. In a good way, we would fear him. The outcome of that intimacy is a natural fear. It's a natural reverence. Reverence, profound respect and love. When we have a reverent attitude towards God, we honour him, express our gratitude to him, and obey his commandments. We should be reverent in our behaviour as well as our attitude. This is my humble opinion. I am H-O, if you're texting. Reverent, generally speaking, Western society has lost its respect of God. Those in authority, God-given authority, according to Romans 13, have lost their respect for God. This has resulted in poor behaviour, poor decisions, poor policy, and sometimes even corruption. We have wandered away from the guidelines laid down by our Creator for successful life and relationship. We know best. Our rules are best. 
we are modern and enlightened, more enlightened than the ancient one who made us. The created know more than the creator. Oh, the arrogance that has crept into our society. We have lost our respect for God and for authority in general. In saying that, there is quite a difference now in world views on that very topic, on respect. I was Googling that kind of topic and I came across a little um, summary of a, a kind of a workshop that was done on this generational difference on words. They were doing a little study on the word respect. And so they had, they had a couple of people bring their thoughts about what respect was. And I've got a question for you today. I'll get two or three people to chip in, see what you think. Do you think respect is earned or given? Both. Okay. Is there anyone kind of in one camp that it's one thing or the other, or do you think both? Generally? Both. Earned. Oh, yeah. Anyone, anyone in the given camp, it's, it's only given? Yeah. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is falling, this is falling right into... It's not a trap. It's not a trap at all. But in this group, there was, I, I looked at their notes. They had, if, you, if you're filling with the terms that people, worldviews are getting class, have been classified into kind of like generations, and there's the baby boomer generation. So that is all the people born after the war up to 1964. So I just squeaked into this group, but I don't feel I'm like a baby boomer. Just, just saying. But the baby boomer said, the baby boomer in the group said, they said that respect is earned by being on time, listening, and demonstrating desire to learn. If you do that, you will gain respect. But then the millennial jumped up and said, millennials are born in the last two decades not, not, of, of the millennium, 1980, 1990, so 1980 to 2000. She got up and said, she felt that everyone should be respected, regardless of age or gender. So that can, that can really show that even when I say respect, we can all have different ideas in our head what that actually means. And even in the group today, we saw that. I had a dinner time discussion around the kitchen table. And so at our ki not kitchen table, our dinner table, so of course I, there was a baby boomer there, there was a generation X there, and then there was some Gen Zs there. And they all had their own take on what respect was. Me, myself, personally, I, I am missing, I've shared this before, I am missing the signs that I grew up with of respect. I'm missing the fact that when, when I caught a bus from Mount Wellington into the city, I got my little paper ticket, it got clicked, I missed that. That's cute. The little, you know, you used to give your money, you had a little dish, this would be hilarious for the kids. There was like a little dish that the bus driver had, you'd put your coins on it and say, half to the city, please. He'd go out, get your little ticket, he'd click it, and off you'd go. But I used to hate that because my mother and father had taught me, yes, I've got a ticket, but that is a half ticket. You paid half price to go on that bus. If there is a seat, you can take it, but as soon as an adult gets on, up you get, you give them your seat. I used to just sit there, oh, please, 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 please. <laughs> and yeah, I just, oh, no, here comes an adult, and I'd look around, is there any spare seats? And I'd, oh, dude. And they would, they would say, oh, thank you, and they'd think I must be well brought up. I miss that kind of thing. I'm a half price, not because of my height. I'm a half price because I was a kid, and out of respect for your elders, you would give up your seat. I used to give up my seat for ladies. As an older 
as, as I grew up, I was told to honour um, my sisters, honour the ladies in my life, and I would give up a seat for the ladies. And there was a time when ladies would graciously say, thank you. They wouldn't go on, what are you saying? <laughs> are you saying I'm weaker than you? Are you suppressing me? Are you saying I should submit to you? <laughs> and this is where we've come. I miss the fact that men can be gracious and honouring to our women and say, please, sit down, have my seat. I miss that. I miss the fact that growing up, friends of the family who were adults were called auntie and uncle, even when they weren't. They were never called by their first name. Oh, my goodness. I would have got a little if I'd done that. I miss that. I miss the fact that teachers, police, doctors were respected. They were in an honourable position. They were trusted. If I came home, which I just want to say I never did, when I ca if I came home and said, oh, today I got the strap at school, my parents, do you know what their reaction would have been? What did you do to deserve that? The teachers were trusted to administer discipline to the children. Generally speaking, I think we used to respect those in authority because the majority of those in authority could be trusted. Unfortunately, our appetite for the scandalous and the sensational newsworthy stories have fed the media monster and now led us to believe that the majority of those in the high trust roles actually can't be trusted and certainly don't deserve our respect. And hence, the overall decline of respect in our society. I'm here to say, Dads are good. Most dads are good. We look after our kids. We lead our families. And we protect our women. But you hear on the news, it's not happening. Yes, it's not happening. There's lots of cases of not happening. But there's a darn load of dads who are good. Don't believe the stuff that all dads are like that. I should be able to sit next to kids on a plane. I'm good. Spread the word, not me, but you know. You know what I'm saying? Our, our society, we love the scandals. We love the news telling us about the bad dudes, all the bad dudes and what they're doing. The respect is just crumbling because we love that kind of news. I, I coach football, and my son, he's, um, Nathaniel, told me one time, and he said, do you know, Dad, he, kind of, he just confided in this to me without really kind of any prompting. He said to me, do you know, Dad, most of my friends are scared of you? And inside, I kind of went, I kind of went. Because <laughs> I want that. I want that, because I'm not big, I'm not intimidating. I want a little bit of, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a sign of respect that you, if someone's an authority over you, you're a little bit kind of, Dad, most of my friends are scared of you. I just went, yes. <laughs> if, you've, if you've ever read, sorry, so in respect, in respect of our society, the wane of respect, respect is just waning in our society, we should never ever get conditioned into that lack of respect when it comes to our Heavenly Father. When it comes to our Lord and our Saviour, when it comes to our King. If you've ever read the Narnia Chronicles, C.S. Lewis, um, he, a lot of, I think, the motivation behind the book, he was wanting to explain God to his kids. And he used the character Aslan to re represent God. And quoting Mr. Beaver, because if you haven't read the books, Mr. in Narnia, 
animals can talk. And so Mr. Beaver said this. He said, Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. To say that God has earned or deserves our respect is a complete understatement. He is the one and only true God, a creator of universes. God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. God is immutable. He never changes. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He is always, everywhere. God is wise. He is full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. God is faithful. He is infinitely, unchangeably true. God is good. He is infinitely, unchangeably kind and full of God's will. God is just. He is infinitely, unchangeably right and perfect in all he does. God is merciful. He is infinitely, unchangeably compassionate and kind. God is gracious. God is infinitely inclined to spare the guilty. God is loving. God infinitely, unchangingly loves us. God is holy. He is infinitely, unchangeably perfect. God is glorious. He is infinitely beautiful and great. Reverence is profound respect and love. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Another translation translates it like this. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for salvation of his household. Noah was the man for the job. I loved how a couple of messages ago, maybe Brian brought out that, that moment, that pivotal moment that God had, I don't know, I suppose in modern terms, it had a guts full. He was going to wipe out the earth. But Noah, there was one man who was righteous. But Noah, that was pivotal, that tipping point. God could have fully just wiped it out, started again. But Noah. There's other pivotal moments. Jesus. Pivotal moment. Came to earth as a baby. Grew up to a man and died on the cross. Absolutely pivotal. We've done a recent series where we've followed the life of Paul. Oh my goodness. On the road to Damascus. Absolutely pivotal. That man, he wasn't alone in the task. But that man was pivotal in spreading the gospel, building the church. You might not place yourselves on, the, on par with Noah or Jesus or Paul, but we 
Oops, sorry. We've got things to do. We've got good works to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We've all got stuff to do. I've got a role. My role as a husband and father, I think, is pivotal. When I get it right, according to his plan, I am setting up my family for success. Brian, again, in a, in a recent um, message, um, brought out, he quoted Matthew Henry um, in his commentary on Genesis. And this is from Matthew Henry's commentary. Eve, being made after Adam and out of him, puts an honour upon her as the glory of man. If man is the head, she is the crown. A crown to her husband, the crown of the visible creation. I love that. And then he goes on to say, and this is the bit I want to bring out now, that the woman, I, I absolutely love this when Brian read this out, that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled up, upon by him, but out of his side. Oh, sorry. To be equal with him and under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. I just, I thought that captured my role according you know, to my wife just superbly. Um, Bill McCartney was the founder of Promise Keepers. He used to be the coach of the Colorado uh, varsity football. They were a, a, a team that won the American uh, football competition for varsities. He was a very busy man. He went to church and he heard in a sermon this quote. If you really want to know about a man and what kind of character he has, you need only look at the countenance of his wife. Everything that he has invested or withheld will be there. Bill McCartney changed around his life. He was a busy man. He, he realised at that point he'd been putting too much time into his work and even, even his, what he was doing in his um, promise keeper's work and he changed his habits because of that. If you really want to know about a man and what kind of character he has, you need only look at the countenance of his wife. Everything he has invested or withheld will be there. The countenance, that's her face. It's how she looks. If she's always smiling, radiant, a lot of it is to do with her, but a lot of it is, if she's married, would be a lot to do with her partner. My role as a husband and father, I think, is pivotal. When I get it right, according to his plan, I am setting up my family for success. When Hannah, my wife, fulfills her role according to his plan, same result. It's a partnership. When we get that right, when we get that partnership right, same result. We are setting up our kids for success. When we as a family get that right, we are helping society set up for success. When we fear God, when we love him with all our heart, soul and mind, when we fulfill our God-given roles, he, his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Psalm 19, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Psalm 33, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. 
Here's an encouragement from Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people. For those who fear him, listen, lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Look at, our, look at, look at Noah in our reading today. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark, saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your wives. Bring out all the animals, birds, and all the creatures that move along the ground. They, now they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase the number on it. Reverence. When we have a reverent attitude toward God, we obey his commandments. So Noah has landed the boat. Now, am I, what, am I right, Brian? That was, they were a year floating around? Yep. They were floating around on top of the water for a year. As Aucklanders, we've had lockdown. We know what it can be like. Could you imagine floating around in a boat with your family, your sons, and their wives, and your wife, and a floating zoo. <laughs> As I said, I, I started unpacking how this thing works. There's going to be a lot of waste. You f there's a lot of food. You're feeding the kids. You're feeding the animals. The animals are doing what they do. You've got to put that do somewhere. It's a year. He lands the boat. The water has dried up. He takes the cover off. So he actually maybe goes on deck, if there, was, if there was like a deck, and has a look out. It looks like it's good to go. No, can you imagine the kids or the, the animals? Let's go. We've landed. But no, if you look at the reading we just read, he waited two more months. Can you imagine the pressure from those on board that it was time to go? After what he'd been through, he'd, he'd been building that boat. Oh, it's kind of estimated. I was asking Brian about about that too. I don't know, anywhere between 50 to 70 years? That's how long it took them to build it. And then they're floating around for a year and he still waited. He waited for the Lord's instruction and then got off the boat. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This moment was a creation reset and Noah obviously wanted to get it right. Can you imagine? Can we go, Dad? Come on, let's go. We've landed. No, we will wait for our God to say, go. Reverence, profound respect and love. When we have a reverent attitude towards God, we honour him and express our gratitude to him. Back to our reading. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. I love this fact that having finally got off the boat, Noah does exactly that. He expresses his gratitude to his God. He worships him by sacrificing some of that precious cargo. 
He'd been sailing around for a year saving these animals and now he sacrifices some of them to God. I find that amazing. He, of course, gives God the first fruits. He gives God, he doesn't give God his leftovers, he gives God his best. These are the animals he's been caring for for a year and he gives them over and sacrifices the, them to, to the Lord. He felt gratitude that he and his family have just been saved from a global, destructive, catastrophic event. He was in gratitude for that. Let's not fall into the trap of religious ritual in our worship. God wants heartfelt worship born out of gratitude for our salvation, born out of relationship. He doesn't want empty, empty rituals. He wants our heart. He doesn't want us coming to church to tick boxes. I've been to church 45 times this year. Tick. I've read all my Bible notes. Tick. I've given to the poor. Tick. All those things are good things, but he wants our heart. In Isaiah, he said this. This is the Lord speaking. These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. And Micah, the prophet Micah, asked these questions. Does the Lord take pleasure in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give him my firstborn for my wrongdoing, the fruit of my body for the sin of the soul? He has told you, mortal one, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Reverence. Walk humbly with your God. So let's worship God. These little, these little points here came from something I saw online, from a, a pastor, Gaspar Anatasi, and he made these points. Without an acceptable sacrifice, it's not true worship. But what is an acceptable sacrifice? Is it an offering something to God that is value, valuable to you and costs you everything? Whatever form that sacrifice takes, time, talent, money, praise, or just your daily lifestyle, it must be the best you have or it's not worthy of our awesome God. Giving your best comes at a cost. If it doesn't, it's not your best. God commanded Abraham, if you remember the story, he commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his precious son, as an act of worship. It's wild. He didn't tell him to offer just anything. Neither did he let Abraham choose which son to give. God was specific. Otherwise, Abraham might have offered Ishmael. Instead, it may have been easier to give his illegitimate son because it didn't cost him or hurt him as much as giving his promised son. But then it wouldn't have been an acceptable sacrifice or true worship. Don't give God an Ishmael offering in your praise, tithe, or commitment. Give him your best. But remember, giving your best requires that you crucify your flesh. God wants first place in every area of our lives. Money, family, talent, resources, your most precious treasured possessions. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Back to our reading. So Noah's offered up that sacrifice. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again 
will I curse the ground because of the humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Like Noah, we need to live under his blessing. Under God's blessing, of course I mean. Remembering his promises. Wherever your faith journey may take you, remember to look up and remember his promises. Every time you see a rainbow, remember God's promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. I've got a scripture for every one of these promises if you want to come up and ask me about it. But I'm going to offer you some of God's promises. If you want, you can close your eyes. Every one of these promises is for you. Absolutely, every individual in this building, this is for you. This is the promises of God. He gives strength to the weary. He will give you rest. His love never fails. He has redeemed you. He has adopted you. The Lord will fight for you. God gives wisdom to those who ask. The devil will flee from you if you resist. He forgives us when we confess our sins. Your old self is dead. He forgives us when we forgive others. He will exalt the humble. He will never forsake you. He has given us eternal life. He will set you free. Believe you've received what you have asked for in prayer. He will meet all your needs. Call on him and he will answer. He will give you the desires of your heart. He will never blot your name from the book of life. All things work for good for those who love God. All things will be added when you seek first the kingdom. He will make your path straight. He has prepared us a place. And he is coming again soon. They are all promises God made and are recorded in scripture. Each one of those promises are for you. We need to keep those promises ahead of us, looking up. When we see rainbow in the sky, remember God's promises. We need to fear God. We need to have a reverent respect of God a holy fear of God and who he is. But remember, as Mr. Beaver said, oh, he's not safe, but he's good. We need to worship him in spirit and truth. We need to give him our best. And we need to live with his promises ahead of us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.